Well, I tell you, time flies when you worship like that. I mean, those songs are some jams. I even saw, that was for you, I even saw some people, you know, doing, it was so into it, doing the, the middle school dance kind of thing. The safe for church people, you know what I mean? Kind of back and forth, like, oh, uh-oh, is it all right? Is that safe? I'm so appreciative of all the work that our worship team puts into that. Can we, can we give them just thanks? And the cameras and all the uh, sound and equipment that has to go into that. It's a lot, but it's definitely uh, a privilege to come and to be here with you. My name's Chad Myers. Welcome to those of you in the room. Welcome to those of you joining us online. Maybe you're driving, maybe you're at the beach, the mountains, Uh, Shout out to my beautiful wife. I know you're watching and listening. I'm gonna ask you a question that I want you to ask yourself in your heart right now. Are you ready this morning? Do you want to encounter Jesus? Do you want to encounter Jesus? And I believe you do. I I love preaching here at this church and I love coming into this place because uh, when we gather together, and you're, you're so hungry. In fact, I tell some of my friends who communicate, I said, you, you have no idea what it's like to preach in that. It's crazy, it's amazing. You could preach like a, a mediocre sermon at a level six, but in that room and in that church, it's like a level 10. Those people are ready, they're hungry, they come excited. They actually wanna be at church. That's crazy. They wanna be at church. And I believe you're ready to encounter Jesus because God is here. His, his anointing, can I just say, is on Mount Horeb. It really is. This is a great place to come and be, to come and worship. If you're just checking it out, I say that from the bottom of my heart. When was the last time you had an encounter that enlarged your heart? When was the last time you had an encounter? Could be with a person, nature, creation. Could be just a moment in a, a movie that you saw and you're just like, whoa, that got me. That got me. Several years ago, me and my wife uh, journeyed to Arizona for a wedding that we were going to attend. And we didn't have a lot of time there, but since we were in Arizona, we were so close to the Grand Canyon, we said, we've got to go, even if it's just for a little bit. So we rented a car, we drove several hours, and uh, I, I, we'd seen, I'd seen pictures. I wasn't really anticipating you know, what was gonna happen. I was like, oh, we, we just gotta go do it. You know, maybe it's just so we can say that we did it. And so we get there and we, you have to decide which part you're gonna go see, which rim you're gonna park at. And so we find this parking lot and we still couldn't see anything. You had to catch a trolley up to the, 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 the edge and we catch a trolley up to the edge and it's kind of overcast and it's kind of cloudy and I'm tired from the trip and the drive and I'm walking toward it. And all of a sudden we come over this crest and I see the Grand Canyon for the first time and I was completely unprepared for that encounter, and I had to fight back tears. And it captivated me. When was the last time you had an encounter with God, with his creation, with his people, with his word, with his presence that captivated you? And you said, I was unprepared for that, but I think I would like some more. Today, we're gonna look in the Gospel of Mark at encountering Jesus, and we're gonna see how Jesus interacts with people and maybe identify where we are in these encounters. But before we do, I wanna talk a little bit about, before we dive into our main passage today, I wanna talk a little bit about the people that encountered Jesus and how we came to have the book of Mark, how we came to even have the book of Mark, because studying the Bible is one of the ways that we encounter God but we don't study the Bible like this. 
right? We don't read the Bible like this. We read the Bible like this. It's a map to point to God. The Bible's not God. It's a map to point to God. It's a, it's a diving board to spring us into the deep end of who God is. So we don't just read it like that because we don't wanna be trapped in religion. We want to read it as a connection with who God is. But in order to do that, we have to know a little bit about how it came together. So I'm gonna start in 1 Peter, just a little bit of work before we dive into this. Start in 1 Peter and what's going on with the book of Mark. Now, 1 Peter, Peter writes this book and uh, it's the end of this uh, chapter five, it's the end of the book. He says this, with the help of Silas, with whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God, stand fast in it. Now listen to this, she who is in Babylon... Babylon was code word for Rome. So Peter is in Italy. Chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. He's talking about a church. Now listen to this. And so does my son, Mark. Key phrase. And so does my son, Mark. And then one of my favorite verses in the New Testament, greet one another with a kiss of love. Why don't, we, you know, why don't we practice that anymore? You know what I'm talking about, people? Uh, we're a New Testament church. I oh, agree one another with the kiss of love. We want to be a faithful church. Mwah. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peace, you're like, is he joking? I don't know if he's joking or is he serious? I don't know. You have to figure it out for yourself. <laughs> Peter is writing. He's in Rome. He's using code because of the potential persecution that's going on. And he says, the church here sends you greetings, as does my son, Mark. Keyword, code word for John Mark, also the one who identifies as writing the gospel of Mark. Now we know a little bit about Mark because he went with Paul, according to the book of Acts, on his first missionary journey. And remember, at the end of his first missionary journey, Paul and Mark have a falling out. In fact, Barnabas and Paul have such a sharp disagreement that they decide to part ways. And Barnabas says, well, I'll take Mark with me. Paul thought Mark was too immature. This guy's too immature. He's not helping us on this trip. You guys need to part ways. So Barnabas takes Mark under his wing and he goes with him on another missionary journey. Now, according to the book of Acts, Paul and Mark reconcile for the third missionary journey. So now you're starting to see who is Mark rubbing shoulders with? Who is he hanging out with? And then about AD 63 AD, not 80, AD 63, when Peter is writing his letter, 1 Peter, Mark is apparently back with Peter in Rome. You say, well, okay, that's great. What does that have to do with the gospel of Mark? Because most people think that the book of Mark is the gospel of Mark according to Peter. That Mark would have learned about the teachings of Jesus and the life of Jesus from the people he rubbed shoulders with, from Paul, from Barnabas, and then he spends a majority of his life with Peter. And for Peter to say, as does my son Mark, it's code word for, I played a significant part in his conversion to Jesus. Most people think that Jesus had a curriculum of teaching. You know good teachers repeat themselves. Good teachers repeat themselves. You've had these teachers, you've had these preachers. You're like, you say that phrase a lot, you say that theme a lot. Most people think Jesus had a large body of curriculum. Sermon on the Mount, not one time, multiple times. 
Sermon on the Plains and Luke multiple times. Jesus is a good teacher. He understands how people need to hear things over and over and over again. And so he created this curriculum that many of his followers would have committed to memory without even trying. And so most people think that Mark has listened to Peter enough and he has interpreted it and he is compiling his book in such a way to communicate to his audience. I say that because I want to demystify some of the way we think about how the Bible came together. I think it's inspired by the Holy Spirit, but these are real people with real personalities, with real experiences. Let's start with the human first. We'll find the divine. So Mark came to Christ through Peter, and Mark writes his book with a purpose. He compiles it. It's likely his interpretations of Peter who had memorized large portions, if not all, of Jesus' teaching and actions. Talk about encounters. So let us look at some of the main themes that Mark is wanting to say to us. If you are able and willing, would you please stand for the reading of the word of God? This is Mark 2, 1 through 12. This is the only text we'll be in today. We'll jump in a couple others, but this is our primary text. It says this, a few days later, when Jesus again entered Capernaum, The people heard that he had come home. They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Can you imagine that? When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, does this fellow talk like that? Whenever you say fellow, it means you don't like the person. You know what I'm saying? This fellow, he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. But I want you, you to know that the son of man, primary way Jesus identified himself, son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up. Take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, and walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. I'm reminded just now of a wedding I went to where the guy had everybody stand, and he forgot to seat them. (laughs) And he just kept going through the whole wedding, and they were so polite. They stood the whole time. Had to tell myself, ask them to be seated. They might stand the whole time. Encountering Jesus brings fascination. Encountering Jesus, it brings a fascination. Most people don't say, I don't like Jesus. Most people don't say that. Because if you study Jesus and his teachings and you take him at his word at face value what he did, most people are fascinated with Jesus. Like even people who don't believe, he's a great moral teacher, one of the best ethical teachers that ever existed. Maybe we don't believe in the miracle so much, but this guy, look at his ethics. It's incredible. People become fascinated with Jesus. They may say, I don't really like the church very much, you know, or I don't really like other things about Christianity, but Jesus, I don't necessarily have me problems with him. The question is, have they, have they studied him deeply? Because he says some really hard things about the human condition and about what we're up to and about what we need. And look at verse two. A few days later, when Jesus entered Capernaum, the people heard that he'd come home. 
They gathered in such large numbers that there was no room left, not even outside the door, and he preached the word to them. Now, Jesus was from Galilee, so why is he in Capernaum, and does he have a home? Most people think what? Most people think that this, Peter lived in Capernaum. When Jesus goes to Peter's house and heals his mother-in-law of the fever, he's in Capernaum. It's very likely that Jesus doesn't have a home. He says statements like this, you know, uh, foxes have holes, birds have nests, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head. It's very likely that this is not his home, but he's, his home base of operations for ministry is Peter's home. Once again, giving merit to Mark is the gospel according to Peter, Mark, writing it down. But he's been in Capernaum before. He was just there in chapter one. There was absolute fascination with Jesus. He is healing. And they said, he teaches with such authority. Our scribes and our, our pastors, they don't teach like this guy. Have you seen this young gun? He's incredible. We gotta go hear him. And so he comes back into town. He likely doesn't have a billboard that he's coming back into town. He didn't tweet it out. He just shows up and everybody hears about it. And you can't get into the house. You can't get in to hear him. You can't get into the yard. You, you, it's so packed. They're fascinated with Jesus. Not even outside the door, it says. And he preached the word to them. They didn't have the New Testament. According to Mark, he's preaching the things of the kingdom, repent and believe the good news, turn around and believe that Jesus can save you. Some people are there and their fascination leads to investigation. You know, a lot of people... And it's okay, like fascination is the first part. Like, I've, I've never thought about Jesus this way. I should, I should look into it. I should maybe get a book or maybe start reading the New Testament or let's go to church. Maybe you're here for the first time or you're joining us online for the first time and there's a bit of an intrigue around Jesus and that's why you're joining us. That's fantastic. That's why we're here. But for some of us, we're not meant to stay there. We're meant to go deeper. For some of us, we've been fascinated for a long time, but our fascination needs to turn into investigation. I need to take the next step. Maybe I need to get involved and serve. Maybe I need to get involved and give. Maybe I need to join a small group. Maybe I have the gift of teaching and I need to lead something or teach something. Maybe you have some questions about Jesus. And let me say this about Jesus. He is unafraid of our questions. He's a big boy. He can take all of our questions, all of our doubts, all of our curiosity, all of our cynicism. He's not... Easily offended, as I said a few weeks ago, he can take it and welcomes it. Come, seek, and you will find. What is that next step for you to turn fascination into an investigation? And then we have this text that, that there's other people here that aren't just fascinated. They move beyond fascination because of their desperation. You know what I mean? It's desperation for them Desperation for Jesus moves us beyond fascination with Jesus. Desperation for Jesus moves us beyond fascination with Jesus. What are you desperate for? What are we desperate? Who are we desperate for? Look at verse three. Some men came bringing to him a paralyzed man carried by four of them. Since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus by digging through it and then lowered the mat the man was lying on. Early in my ministry when I would preach, I did not do well with distractions. I did not do well with sermon interruptions when people would move or leave. In fact, whenever they would leave in the middle of a sermon, I often thought to myself, oh, I'm losing them. 
Lost that guy. He didn't come back from the restroom. It's been, it's been too long. He didn't come back. You know, a baby would cry, and, and, and then the baby would keep crying, and uh, I would get flustered in my head. This is like the ultimate interruption. Can you imagine someone jackhammering through the roof in the middle of the sermon as Jesus is teaching? But that's how desperate they are. They don't care what anybody's going to think. They don't care about the criticism. They don't care of the accusations that people are gonna say. They're so desperate that it drives them to an encounter with Jesus. This man apparently, obviously couldn't walk, he's paralyzed. He probably couldn't even army crawl, some of the commentators were saying. He couldn't move at all. And he had to have four people pick up the corners of his mat it's like the bed where he would have laid every day, paralyzed, begging simply so he could eat and survive. They picked up the corners of his mat and they carried him to Jesus. But guess what happened? The crowd's so thick, they can't get in. Tickets were sold out. Couldn't even hear him. But their desperation drove them even further. And they said, no, 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 no. We heard the teacher is in town. We heard he can heal people. We've got to get you there. We've got to see if this can happen. And so guess what? We're going to go and we're going to dig a hole through the roof. I just imagine there's this meeting, maybe even on the way. What are we going to do if we can't get in? I'll just dig a hole through the roof. Some guy didn't even think about it. He just ran off his mouth and they're like, that's not a bad idea. Let's dig a hole through. I was just kidding. Right back up. Uh, How do they dig a hole through the roof? This is a picture of a first century home. And they in the Bible times, and it's just a one one level one room home. Uh, the animals out in the yard there, and how they they would often have a staircase or a ladder, most likely that would get them to the roof because you know it's hot in, in ancient Israel, and where are you going to go to cool off? You're going to go to the roof. And how they would build the roof was they would take these large beams and lay them down, and then they would kind of lay sticks on top and straw on top, and then they would take mud and they would cake it on top of that. And then you see this roller, and they would take this roller and they would go over the mud on top of the roof so that it would kind of cake it down and the sun would bake it, and it would be there, and that would be like a dirt roof. M- the function of it was much like a deck today. You know, you get outside, you get some fresh air, you entertain, like this is where you go. And so these men come and the house is packed and the courtyard's packed and they can't even get in. So what do they say? We gotta get up there and we gotta go through the roof. So they go up there and Mark doesn't exactly tell us how, but they dig through the roof. Now, if you're anything like me, you've been a Christian for a while maybe. You know, you say, what do we say? I grew up in the church, grew up in the church, been around church my whole life. Sometimes our desperation runs dry, doesn't it? Our desperation runs dry. So how do we keep in tune with our desperation? How do we allow God to awaken that and let it drive us to him for an encounter? One of the things that I see in this passage that will disturb us to desperation is this. They break their routine. They break the routine. He could have stayed there that day. Hey, Jesus is back in Capernaum. Well, nothing's worked so far. I've cried out to God and he hasn't changed it yet. I've prayed and uh, I've asked for other people to pray and nothing's happened. I'm tired of getting the glares and the sideways glances at everybody as they walk by me. I'm just gonna stay here today. My routine, 
It's my everyday thing. This is what I do. This is how I approach life and God. And we are creatures of habit and we love ruts. Even if you're like, no, 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 I like to break out of the routine. Maybe breaking out of the routine is your rut. Oh, see what I did there? We like habits and we're creatures of routine. There's an author, a spiritual author, and he's, he was looking for a, a deeper transformation in his life. And so him and his wife decided to one summer spend 40 days with this group of women called the Valkyrie. And the Valkyrie, they are a nomadic group of warrior women who ride motorcycles around the desert. Oh, that's a summer fun activity. Hey, what are you, what are you guys doing this summer? Uh, well, probably the beach, you know, maybe the mountains for a few days. Camping, that's an adventure. That's definitely an adventure, right? What are you doing? Well, me and my wife uh, are going for 40 days and 40 nights with a group of warrior women who ride motorcycles in the desert. Oh, I see. I see. And he goes out there, and he's, they know he's coming. He's going to spend 40 days, and he's asked them to help him with transformation on a spiritual journey. And for the longest time, the leader of this group of women doesn't talk to him, doesn't say a word to him. He's just with them out in the desert doing what they do, waking up when they wake up, participating in their practices, eating what they eat and when they eat, traveling when they travel, going to bed when they go to bed, participating in their rituals. And he finally gets frustrated and said to his wife, she's not even teaching me anything. They're not even saying anything to me. I don't understand. I came out here to be transformed. And then it hit him. Oh, they're breaking me of my routine. And now I'm in their routine. Routine is the one thing that we commit to because we're afraid if we break it, something bad might happen to us. This is just how we do it. This is how we have to do it. But in order for us to stay desperate for the divine, you may have to wreck your routine. In order for us to stay desperate for the divine, you may have to wreck your routine because we are not static people. The law of entropy works even unto the soul. So in our routine, it's not the same size rut. It's constantly closing in on us. And if we do nothing, we continue to get smaller and smaller and smaller. That's why people who don't push against this and grow and get outside of their comfort zone, unfortunately, at the end of their life, become the worst possible version of themselves. You've seen it happen. We have to push against this. My older brother's a trainer, and I remember him t- talking to me one time about muscle confusion. Muscle confusion is basically this. It's the idea that if you change your workout routine, you can shock your muscles and achieve different results. It can make you leaner, stronger, faster, etc. Basically, by stimulating the muscle differently, you break its training habit or its automatic response to exercise. Friends, Sometimes we need spiritual muscle confusion to disrupt us and cause us to be desperate for God. I remember me and my wife tried a bit of a, there's a lot of eating fads going on right now. We tried to break our routine with the Whole30. The Whole30 is where you don't eat anything that tastes good for like 30 days and you don't eat anything that fills you up for 30 days. I think we survived on like eggs, tuna, and almonds. And then they tell you, you might become irritable. (laughs) Yeah, understatement. I lasted two weeks. (laughs) I was so irritable. I was like, going back to eating regular food. 
I don't know if it's that type of disruption, but it's something. You know, maybe you, I always pray at this time. I've got to pray at this time. If I don't pray at this time, I feel guilty or I feel nervous or whatever. I always read this spiritual author and maybe you need to read a different spiritual author, not a heretical one, but maybe a different one that you haven't read before. Or I always listen to the same people. Maybe you need to invite different voices to the conversations or we always go here and do this at the same time. Switch it up. Have some spiritual muscle confusion in your life, it might just awaken desperation. At the very least, it will destabilize you, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. So they get through the roof to Jesus because they're desperate. There's another way we remain desperate for for God. Let's, Let's start verse five. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralyzed man, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, the teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit this was what they were thinking in their hearts, and he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier, to say to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. He got up, took his mat, and he walked out in full view of them all. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. I just want to make note here that it was desperation that drove him to Jesus, and only one person that we know of walked out with a miracle that day. Only one person that we know of received forgiveness for sins. Interesting, don't you think? When, when, he, when he gets through the roof, and I, I just, you gotta imagine with me how crazy this is. Like there's a roof and he's got a mat. How does it happen? Is he crowd surfing down in the room and they get him down? I don't even know. And how does Jesus handle the interruption? He seems to take it in stride. And he looks at him and says, son or child, the Greek word here is technon. Say technon. Excellent, Greek scholars. It can be son or daughter, but it's endearing. Little child, your sins are forgiven. Now, the Jewish mindset, you know, I, I, would, I would have been a little disappointed, right? Thank you. What about the other thing that I was lowered down here for? Your sins are forgiven. I appreciate that. Can you take care of the obvious problem that I have? In the Jewish mindset, there was a close link between sin and disease. Now, Jesus nuances that so that we don't get to think like that. But there was a close link between sin and disease. And so every day, every day, people would have passed this man on his mat paralyzed and they would have thought to themselves, this man's cursed by God. He's done something wrong. His parents did something wrong. He'd sinned. His parents sinned. We don't know what it is. But God is angry with him. And we hear Bible language sometimes so much that it loses its force on us. So I'm gonna say this a different way. Jesus shows up and he looks at this precious person and he says to him, child, God is not angry with you. Child, God is not angry with you. The paralysis and the disease and the sickness and the bad things that are happening in your life are not because God is angry with you. I think some of us need to hear that today. If that's you, I want you to repeat that silently in your own heart with me. Child, 
God is not angry with you. Child, God is not angry with you. We sang it earlier. I'm a child of love. That's the scandal of the gospel, that I don't have to do anything more to get God's love and I can't do anything more to reject God's love. It's just set upon me. It's circular reasoning. Why do you love me? Because I love you. I love you because I love you. I've set my love upon you. Child, God is not angry with you. And he shows him his true need. His true need. He did have a physical need, but deep down he had a spiritual need. You need to be forgiven. True self-knowledge leads to true God-knowledge. True self-knowledge leads to true God-knowledge. Sometimes we aren't desperate for an encounter with Jesus because we aren't really aware of our need for Jesus. We think we're doing just fine. Thank you very much. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's worse than you could ever imagine. In fact, the prescription is the death of the eternal son of God. The diagnosis must be severe. When we are aware, not with just the things that we do, right? Because we often define sin as like, this is a bad thing I do. But a deeper explanation of sin is it's the reason I do good things too. It's not just the bad things I'm up to. It's the reason that I'm up to good things. So I can be noticed, so I can get an ego stroke, so I can feel needed, so I can get them to like me. You see? And I'm not saying you. I'm saying me, us. God makes us aware of these things it points to our need for him. Now, now the people don't like this. Scribes don't like this. And I'll talk about that in just a second. But, but Jesus says to them, but which is harder to say? It's an argument in Latin known as the a fortiori. It's the greater to the lesser or the stronger to the weaker uh, or the harder to the easier. It's actually easier to say your sins are forgiven, harder to do, but easier to say because guess what? No one can measure it. Or like, did something just happen? It's like a transaction in the heavenlies that we didn't get to see. Like, no one can measure that, but people can measure when you say, get up, take your mat, and go home. So Jesus said, this is harder to say, get up, take your mat, and go home. So if I say that and it comes true, then you obviously know what I previously said is incorporated into that. So he says, get up, take your mat, and go home. And the man rises, and he walks out in front of them all. And Jesus shows here that you have just had an encounter with divine. Because who can forgive people their sins except God alone? Sometimes God meets our physical need in order to show us our spiritual need. Sometimes he does that. Sometimes he heals cancer. Sometimes he heals the sick child. Sometimes he heals the addiction. And it's in order to show us our deep spiritual need. But the equal is also true. Sometimes God does not meet our physical need in order to show us our spiritual need. We don't get to know why, just that it's true. Sometimes God does not meet our physical need. And he uses those things in our life that we would rather them be away, right? We've prayed for them to go away. I'd take this out of my life and I'd be just fine. And God says, yeah, that's the problem. You'd be just fine, but you wouldn't be desperate for me. 
So don't wish that thing away. It's those weaknesses and those struggles and those hardships that God uses to keep us hungry for an encounter with him. Lastly, we see this. Encountering Jesus will leave you encountering opposition. This is very unfortunate, but it's necessary. One of the things that Mark is trying to say in his gospel is, is, is it's written like an ancient biography. And in an ancient biography, notice Mark is different than the other gospels. He doesn't start with the, the birth narrative. He starts with Jesus as a grown man. John the Baptist, Jesus as a grown man. Because there's an ancient form of biographical writing that goes something like this. I'm trying to put forth to you a hero. And the hero is going to do things and say things. And in the manner of the hero's death, he will be vindicated. He will legitimize what he has done and what he has said. And one of the things that Mark is showing is that opposition to the mission of Jesus will arise, but Jesus will remain faithful even in the midst of persecution. When we become followers of Jesus, it does not necessarily get easier. In fact, immediately we encounter opposition. Sometimes that opposition is within ourselves. We don't like it that Jesus says, your sins are forgiven because we say, well, hold on a minute. For my sins to be forgiven would imply that I have sins that I need to be forgiven of. And I don't like that very much. But sometimes the opposition lies outside of us. We can be opposed to Jesus. Sometimes the opposition is outside of us. One of the greatest oppositions is tomorrow. You know what I mean? One of the greatest oppositions to us living a full life of faith and dreaming for God and who he's called us to be is tomorrow. I'll do that tomorrow. I'll write that note tomorrow. I'll make that call tomorrow. I'll pray that tomorrow. I'll order that tomorrow. I'll create that tomorrow. I'll reconcile, you see, and tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. One of the greatest oppositions of living a life for Christ and who he's called us to be. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. I'll surrender that to God tomorrow. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. The scribes and the Pharisees question in their hearts in 2.16, they will question out loud, and in 3.6, it will escalate to questioning how to destroy Jesus. Next week, Trevor is going to preach on Mark 4, and Mark 4 says that sometimes people have a seed of faith, but persecution comes, and they walk away from the faith. Do not underestimate the impact of opposition upon our life of faith and oftentimes from the people we needed it the most from, we don't get support. Jesus' family thought he was crazy. They thought he was out of his mind. His disciples betray him, they abandon him. When we exercise our faith, it doesn't automatically attract fans. Do you know what I mean? When we exercise our faith, it doesn't automatically attract fans. Not everyone is in our corner cheering us on. God says, I want you to persevere through that. I want you to maintain faithfulness through that. I know it hurts. I know it's discouraging. I know, students, you want to 
live this dream or go to this college and your parents have a plan for you and it's gotta be just like this. I know it's difficult to navigate. It's messy. It's rarely easy. But God says, I want you to persevere. We need the power of the Spirit to persevere under persecution. And when we are desperate for Jesus and we encounter him, we are encountering the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit gives us strength to persevere. Not to fight the people who oppose us, but to fight for our faith that is being opposed. This is the life we signed up for. This is actually the life we deeply want. We want a life deeply engaged in dreaming and faith and risk and mission. As Stephen Pressfield says, who, brilliant writer, wrote the book, The War of Art, says this, it's better to be in the arena getting stomped by the bull than to be up in the stands or out in the parking lot. And if we cultivate our fascination, it will lead us to investigation. And if we disturb enough, we can move into desperation. When we stay dependent people upon who Jesus is, sometimes he heals us, sometimes he doesn't, but he'll always forgive us and heal us where it matters most. But in this arena, we get tossed into the arena, we will have to persevere and we will face opposition, but he will be with us the whole time. As I close, I just wanna ask you a few questions for you to pray about. The, the worship team is gonna come out in just a moment and I'm gonna open up the altar for prayer time, but I just wanna ask you a few questions. Maybe this will stoke something inside of you to pray for during the next few moments. Maybe you've lost complete fascination with Jesus. That's okay. He doesn't scold you. Maybe you're in a spiritual dry time, a desert, and you're like, well, I don't even know where you are. Maybe your prayer is simple. Just awaken a fascination again within me. Or maybe you've been dancing around the fascination for a long time and you've been quite comfortable keeping this Jesus at a distance. So this is about as close as I'm, I'm willing to get. But God's inviting you past that today. And yeah, people may criticize and people may say, look at these crazy people. They're digging a hole through the roof. Can you believe that? People may mock and people may accuse, but... What do you need? What needs to happen for you? And maybe you need a desperation and you need to ask God to show you your true need for him. Show you your true need for him. Maybe some of you are facing really hard opposition. Really hard opposition. You're saying, God, help me. This is overwhelmingly discouraging. Help me. Help me stay true. Let's pray together towards that end. Father, we thank you for the book of Mark. We thank you for his relationship to Peter and to Paul and Barnabas. And out of the overflow of your teaching, he recorded for us this great book that we get to encounter and that through this book, we get to encounter you. And as we gather together, thousands of years after it was written, your presence still makes it alive to us and we need you. You know what we need better than we ourselves. So speak to us, encourage us, comfort us, challenge us, awaken within us a heart for you. 
And Father, sometimes a heart for you says, I don't really long for you, but I long to long for you. You're pleased with that. We thank you for that. We praise you for your compassion and your kindness. It always intrigues us to know more of you. Heal us today. We're all paralyzed by something. Fear, anxiety, doubts, whatever it is. May we walk out of this place tall and amazed. We pray in Christ's name.